This is the Prima Fetishista. You're listening to the Fetish Dynasty podcast. Hello, perverts. Welcome to the Fetish Dynasty podcast, episode six. On today's show, none other than Jeff, the man behind the House of Gord. Extra special summer kinky greetings, all you lovely and demented kinksters around the globe. Thanks for tuning in. The Prima Fetishista and I are having a good year so far, and even though the weather doesn't seem to want to cooperate, we are definitely spending more time outside. We even put on a sensory deprivation workshop at a recent camping weekend for local burners, capped off with a vac bed demonstration. Needless to say, we blew a few minds with that one. I can't even imagine what it must be like to not even be aware that vac beds exist, let alone watching someone use one for the first time. My own sense of what is normal is so skewed that I don't even try to understand it anymore. I need to rely on others to tell me what is appropriate for certain audiences. When you live kink, you tend to breathe it as well. Speaking of living and breathing kink, my guest for this podcast is someone I have admired for many years. His particular brand of sexy fun is highly original and certainly fuels the imaginations of tens of thousands of bondage fans around the globe. Coming up, the House of Gord. House of Gord is what happens when one man lets loose his imagination. And what an imagination it is. Apart from coining the term fornophilia, defined on the House of Gord website as, and I quote, the art of human furniture, Jeff has published hundreds of movies, thousands of photos, story after story, and continues to push the limits of what a woman can endure in the name of hydraulics and mechanics combined with sex. If you see a photo of a woman bobbing up and down in a pond, immobilized into a length of forma tube and posing as a navigation boy, or sheathed in a tight catsuit, corseted, strapped, hooded, gagged, bound to a trailer which fucks her as she is pulled behind a pickup truck, well, you might have stumbled upon the House of Gord. Our chat ranged from his early days as a fan of kink, his travel around the globe, battles with various authorities, and online piracy. Here's our conversation. Hello, you're listening to the Fetish Dynasty podcast. I'm very happy to have on the other end of the Skype connection, the House of Gord. Jeff, how are you today? I'm pretty good so far, but today's <laughs> young. You've had a hell of a day so far. <laughs> no, just the average. Yeah, yeah. You, only, yeah. only two computer crashes. <laughs> only two? <laughs> oh, man. So, well, uh, I've known about the House of Gord for a long time. Um, I'm. It, would I be wrong in saying that that you've kind of been doing your thing for like over ten years, maybe twelve years? Uh, well, I've been doing my thing, as you call it, uh, bondage-wise, since I was about five years old. But, um, I suppose publicly, I started writing books in 1992. Okay. Uh, then in 1998, we started the website. 
1998. Yeah, that's yeah. that sort of fits in with my uh, recollection of it. Yeah. So, uh, I so actually, I was in Canada when we started it, Vancouver, BC. Oh, really? Yeah, and I was in JG Leather's basement. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! Wow, talk about uh, two legends of the sport. <laughs> I used to sleep down there at one time, and he used to have his creature hanging in the corner. And this thing, I'd wake up at night, and there's this bloody thing hanging there in the dark. You know? <laughs> that is, that's uh, I, right now. I have uh, my wetsuit hung up in the garage, and every time my wife goes out there, she starts and because <laughs> she thinks it's someone hiding in the corner. Got, yeah, I've got about four mannequins standing around that, we t that came from the museum down in Vegas when we took the display out, and. Right. Uh, I keep walking in the front door and forgetting. I sort of turn around. There's this figure in a cat suit staring at me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how much of a pervert you are. That's still gonna, you know, give you a bit of a start. Uh, so, uh, so yeah. So God, 1998. So that's it's been a long time. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, how? What? Well, first of all, for if, you know, if the listeners haven't heard of House of Gorge. Uh, they must be very wet because they just came down in the last rainstorm. Yeah. But if but how would you how would you describe the House of Gord in your own words? How do I describe the House of Gord? It's about the objectification of women. Uh, uh, it's just a love affair with the shape of women, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like tight-fitting stuff. That comes from my childhood. I was first aware of women in tight clothing at the age of five years and eight months, and I can trace it exactly. Wow. I was sitting in a pantomime in Leicester with yep. my father. It was Dick Whittington. And as with most uh, British pantomimes, for some reason, they always uh, have the leading young man played by a young woman, usually a college student, something like that. Hmm. And, um, this woman was dressed in a tight-fitting tunic uh, sort of jacket and net tights and calf boots and she's strutting around the stage in these net tights with seams in and the cheeks of her ass are showing and I'm like, I, I'm sitting there in my seat at five years and seven months old and I'm getting hot all over. Really? And I can't get my eyes off her ass. <laughs> and I, I'm convinced that everybody in the audience can see that my eyes are riveted to her ass. Right. And I still can't. And, I'm, um, and I actually remember thinking oh, I got fed up because, and angry because she kept turning around and hiding her butt and talking <laughs> to the audience. And I got thinking that if she was tied up, she wouldn't be able to turn around and hide her butt. God. And so I guess that's where it all came from. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just hardwired, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, my ex-wife, Serena, she was um, a sexologist and everything, as you know, an erotologist, doctor of it. And yep. um, she uh, actually said it all came, it all comes from childhood. And, and we're guessing that the, the fetish with tight uh, nylon on, on women's legs and stuff like that probably comes from a, a, a pleasant childhood memory. Um, mm -hmm. I, love, I love the smell of nylon on a woman's legs. Okay. It's just unique. Yeah. And, she, she hypothesized that maybe mom used to lie me in those days, you know, uh, after the war, women had wore nylons, and, and I was probably lying across her lap, and she might be changing a nappy or something. And so you associate it with a pleasant sensation when a, a nasty nappy gets taken away. Right. 
And so she says that's probably where this particular one comes from, or is a large part of it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can certainly relate relate to that. I mean, I was four or five years old when I first realized that, you know, being tightly bound and just unable to move was very pleasurable. So, uh, I, I think that's the womb syndrome, don't they? Yeah, it could be, you know. I, I, I definitely, you know, I, I definitely know that that what I what I enjoy certainly wasn't something I learned later in life. It was just there. And uh, I feel pretty fortunate to live in a time where it's moderately acceptable. And yeah, I'm glad you had it moderately. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, even when I was a young, young guy, I mean, there was no, there was no fucking internet or World Wide Web. Right. You know, so. I did, oh, these kids these days, they don't know how good they got it. <laughs> uh, when I first started writing books, it was on an Amstrad 9512. And uh, its hard drive was a 1.4 floppy disk. Yeah. And it used to take half an hour to save about three pages of writing. But God, that was state-of-the-art, too. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I'm not sure where the tying up of chicks comes from, actually. Um, I, I do feel that women are extremely powerful creatures and so I often wonder if it's the urge to have control complete control over them occasionally you know yeah. even if it's only for a fantasy mm -hmm. uh, I love packaging women so as I can move them around like a little tight package and like okay it'll be there when I get back yeah so would you consider yourself a, like a control freak to use a cliche yeah 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 huh yeah, I'll go with yeah, <laughs> you just like things having your way, and of course, yeah. you know. I mean, I, I, I assume that uh, you like to reverse the roles as well in your play. How do you mean? Do you do you ever bottom or get tied up by women? I've only been tied up once, and I I did it uh, specifically because I was upside down in a cat suit with a corset, with a fiberglass helmet, arm sheet, the whole thing, because I needed to know what the women were having to endure because i always feel if you've not tried it for yourself you've got no right to inflict it on somebody else absolutely and so i got a pretty good idea of what it's like to hang upside down in that sort of gear for 30 to 45 minutes right um she went to have a bath and i must have been the longest bloody bath in history <laughs> time to sort of drag on when you're in that situation but at least i know now I, I, i'm very sort of aware of the stresses that are on these women when they're in this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of guys I know have put arm sheets and that on women that don't realize that it actually alters the breathing by putting an arm sheet on. Absolutely does. They're lying down or inverted because it alters the chest cavity. Yeah. And depending on how they're put together, you know, the blood circulation get cut off really quickly. And mm. so. so, so 1992, you said you started to write? Yeah. Actually, I started writing probably 1990. Our first publication was Fantasy of God 1, the, the magazine. Right. And that was probably 1992. And then it just took off from there. Gotcha. So when did you first um, uh, decide that you wanted to actually make a website? And, and uh, like, how long did it take House of Gord to... Well, I was up in um, Canada and uh, I had a partner that just sort of went pear-shaped on me. Um, as far as I was concerned, he was trying to steal the business. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I got exiled from America, so I was trying to fight from Canada. 
So the only thing I could do, he cut off the money supply and I was about to lose my house in Britain. Yikes. And so the only thing I could do is I borrowed 1700 bucks from Serena's mom. <laughs> and I started the website, a guy in uh, Romania built the original website. Wow. Uh, and we got going and I sat back the day we went live and I thought, oh, that's it, no problem. And <laughs> I thought, 100,000 first week. Yeah, well. <laughs> Well, the first $15 came in 30 days later. Right, yeah. Uh, and I think it took about six months for any appreciable amount of money to come in because at that time I had no clue about the internet and um, I didn't realize that you can put up what you like, but unless somebody knows it's there, they're not going to find it. Right. Yeah, this was back when there was like five or six different search engines and none of them really worked that good. and. <laughs> You know, remember Lycos and Alta Vista and... Oh, God, I've forgotten that. <laughs> remember all those horrible things? They still exist. I, I don't... They're probably in, They're probably owned by Google somewhere and just shuttered. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you started... So basically, uh, the House of Gord was the first kind of website that you put together. And then, and then was there... Uh, when did Naked Gord come about? That was Serena's idea. Because um, she said that a lot of guys, you know, don't like the suits and they'd like to see the girls uh, on the machines naked. Right. But, I mean, naked is not really my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do it, but I've not got the same... I mean, I do enjoy some of it. Yeah. Generally speaking, my passion is for the girls in tight suits. Right. Um, the other thing I like about the tight suits is it gives me more range because uh, there's one woman on that site is on House of Gore is 55 years old and the other one's 50 years old. Right. And because they kept their bodies in shape, they've got cat suits on and they're pulling pony carts and stuff back in the archives. <clears throat> and you can't tell. So, yep. you know, if a, if a woman's got a little bit of cellulite or something like that and we all know the body starts to fall to bits after a while, yep. they can still play the young chicks as long as they're fit and got a reasonable shape and a cat suit will do it for them. Absolutely. And I bet they're a lot of fun too. You know. Yeah. Yeah, a lot more experience, of course. In fact, fan cars just gone back from here. I'm still recovering from that freak. <laughs> I bet. Yeah, last, so- night, last night we did something we've never done before. Um, she had this fantasy. She wanted to go out on the road on one of the hood ornaments. Oh, wow. So we've been researching it and researching it, and I drove up and down the roads and found the places, and then we had to wait for dark, and then we had this rig where she's mounted on the hood as a hood ornament. Right. And flying down the road after dark we actually passed some people and of course when you're looking at headlights you can't see yeah so they may have got a momentary glimpse as we went past and they're probably thinking did i just see that no what's that on the on the hood they probably looked at each other went nah (laughs) (laughs) i just saw a chick in a black cat suit with a with a Leathermeister hood on in bondage, shooting oh, the up in the air. You would have seen my brake lights come on and fucking, I would have spun around going, chase after that car. I don't know what they're doing, but I need to see more of it. Yeah, well, she did five miles. Wow. Uh, we came back and she says, oh my God, that was so hot. Wow. God, I like these women, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's a heavy player. Yeah. No doubt. We put her on the roof as a weather vane earlier in the day. Right. We had to wait for the heat to go down because it was about 85 degrees here. Right. Wow. 
So, um, so you liking women in in uh, tight clothing and stuff? Do you do you have a particular penchant for like leather or latex or nylon or spandex? What's your favorite? Normally, latex and spandex. Um, leather you can't get tight enough, really, all over the body for me. Yeah. So I've often had a fantasy of getting some rawhide, making it into a catsuit, getting it really wet, and then putting it on the girl and letting the bloody thing shrink. Oh my god. Yeah, it'd be a lot cleaner than plaster and about just as effective. Yeah, I don't. Well, I think we'd have to have an emergency breakout system. Yeah, of course. Must actually be as stiff as a board after about four hours. <laughs> no doubt. Oh man. So, um, who would you say has been the most instrumental in in helping you make uh, House of Gord what it is? Serena. Yeah. Without question. How how did she uh, how did she help? Well, she was my wife for eight years. Yeah, still good friends. Um, uh, you know, she lives about forty miles away from me. We did mm-hmm. uh, we didn't fall out. We just went different ways, and uh, as far as we saw it, that we both came out of it better off than we went in, and it just seemed that we we were just destined to come together, and it yeah. sorted all the mess out for both of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. So was she? Uh, were you guys good at bouncing ideas off each other? And did she? It's not much. Not not so much there. She's an organizer. Okay. Um, she was also a legal secretary. So the big fight with my ex-partner. She was the one that actually uh, had him by the scruff of the neck in the end. He couldn't beat her. He must. She must have driven him nuts. I bet. <laughs> Plus the fact she was an American citizen, so she could get back into America and fight for me. Right. It was very difficult to fight across the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, we had a bunch of uh, Mormons in the INS at that time who hated what I did. I've actually got a letter somewhere where they stated I was a threat to the security of the United States. Oh, brother. <laughs> my, my comment probably didn't do anything good. And I said, well, if America's, I didn't realize America was in such a bad state that the little old me was taking it down. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, they actually physically removed their senses of humor when they work for border services. Uh, yeah. Yes, you, you have no idea of the most people in America don't even know the power of those people. They they are they are basically a quasi judicial body. They they like if if I wanted to come down to the states and work and say get a, a an H one visa, I think that's what they're called. You, mm. you show up at the border with all your paperwork ready to go, and you sit down with them, and they approve you or deny you on the spot. That's right. And there's no recourse. I bet, well, there is actually, but shall I tell you some of most Americans don't even know? Um, they can even override a federal judge. Wow. Uh, you have to go to the Department of Justice, it takes about two and a half years, and so far, as far as I know, the Department of Justice has never overridden the border guard's decision. Wow. Because I had a letter from an American federal judge who said that I had not committed fraud and I was entitled to enter the United States. I got to the border with it, and the border guard took one look at it, threw it back, and says, "I don't give a fuck what he says. You ain't coming in." Jeez. <laughs> so, so when did you f- f- sort of finally get back to the states and and uh, know you were there for good? Two thousand and one, I got my residency. Gotcha. Right. I'm an American citizen now. Gotcha. Now, do you uh, do you travel back to the? Do they still give me shit. Yeah, I bet. I'm actually, I'm actually just put a, a complaint into the DHS. 
because because of that incident, which is now 15 years ago, mm-hmm. I still get pulled into secondary every single time I come back into this country. Wow. And 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 chewed over, and then, and it's just a clusterfuck. And I, I mean, I lost it with the last guy. I said, you may as well shove that thing passport in the dark place because it's it, the wording in it's worthless. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. And I said, well, if you're supposed to give me free passage, providing I'm not doing anything illegal. Well, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an American citizen now, and the only place I get shit anywhere in the world is coming back into my own country. Yeah. Isn't that ironic? I, never had, I used to go across the border into Russia at one time doing work for the Germans. I yeah. never had that much trouble getting into Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that doing what you do in, in the States, um, do you think you get to do stuff there that you wouldn't be able to do elsewhere? In terms of mean by elsewhere. Uh, well, anywhere else in the world. I mean, does living in the states sort of provide well, you? Uh... Canada is pretty laid back, and from what I've seen of the mm. Canadian laws, the laws are in place to screw you if they want to. But if you mm. don't stick your head up, they just sort of like, well, unless somebody complains or you do something stupid, we're not really interested. Yeah. Now, well, what... taking a backward step. Yeah. Well, one of my questions for uh, for sort of later on was going to be, you know, how your how your neighbors sort of deal with <laughs> your shenanigans and if you have any... Everybody at all the pubs know what I do. Like, the problem is if you try to hide something or you're sneaky about it and then somebody finds out, there's all sorts of stories come out. Right. And so it's better to just... It's in the open, guys. This is what I do. Here's the pictures. There's my website. Yeah. Oh, by the way, those girls you've met in the bar who you think are great women, they're actually models and you just thought they were ordinary people. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh. So, yeah, I mean, um, when we fought the school up in Kingston, um, we took on a local school district because they were putting a school on an ex-military rocket site, which was considered to be not tested properly. Mm -hmm. I'm still convinced that there are toxins under there. It had some of the most dangerous toxins known to man on it at one time. And they put a school on it, and I I fought them. And so they went after me uh, because of what I do for a living. And... um, Serena was actually, uh, Serena's friend was actually down in Kentucky at a horse meeting and this woman started shooting her mouth off about us and she was saying, well, they're pedophiles, you know. Oh, boy. And, like, this girl turned around and says, are you completely insane? He's trying to stop the school being built next to his property because it's toxic. If he was a pedophile, he'd want the school there. <laughs> he would be donating money. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be out there with a shovel. That's the sort of shit you can have, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's t- let's talk about some of your um, some of your inventions. Uh, did, do you think you? Do, I mean, I I'd be shocked if you didn't have an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree. Do you? I actually was originally trained as an electrical engineer. Gotcha. So you have the engineering mind. Well, then I clearly. Uh, in hydrologics and hydraulics engineering, picked okay. up along the way. Then, uh, by a series of weird circumstances, uh, well, not in that case, then I went for mechanical engineering because I, I was uh, the works manager in um, in UK for a big German company. Okay. Then when I went to Africa, they taught me into coming out as a, um, a chief engineer for those, a couple of steel works in Africa. And it was quite funny, actually, because the day after I got there, after the jet lag and that all off, they said, okay, we'll take you out to see the plant. 
So they took me out to this place near Durban called Izzy Pingo, and the guy says, well, here it is. And I'm looking, I said, here's what? He says, this is, this is it. I said, all I can see is a swamp. <laughs> he said, well, yeah, this is where we want you to build it. I said, you don't need me, you need a civil engineer. <laughs> So I said, well, we spent a lot of money getting you here. You better learn. So Holy smokes. I had to learn how to drain a swamp and float concrete bases that are going to stand machines weighing 500 tons on it without sinking into the ground. So so you're one of those cases where sort of the, the sum of your life experiences suddenly all come together in a, a magnificent yeah, I, I, symphony. <laughs> well, that's a mark on Africa because five years after I left, um, they actually sold that place and the factory was torn down. And an engineer rang me up from Izapingo, and he was the guy and the architect who was designing the new place to go there. And he said, uh, are you the guy that put those bases in? And I said, yeah. Um, he said, what the hell did you put in them? I said, why? He said, we tried to blow them up five times and not even cracked. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you want to blow them up for? He said, well, we want to put an underground car park there. I said, I tell you what, it's probably going to be cheaper to just build it one story higher. Yeah, <laughs> there That's you go. Said, what's under there? I said, it's just over a meter thick, and it's got 40 millimeter rebar on 16 centers running both ways, three levels of it. Wow. And he says, what the hell did you do that for? And I said, A, the rebar was free because the scrapyard was destroying it all. Yeah. And B, the, the bases could shift five degrees and sink so long as they didn't break or bend because the machines didn't care what angle they're at, really. Right. And and so yeah. uh, I, I uh, Googled the, the site and had a look uh, about six months ago, and I'm looking down, and the factory has been moved to one side. They gave up on it. Wow. Um, there's the concrete car park, and you can actually see the different colors of the concrete. The bases are part of the car park now. They just <laughs> left them. <laughs> well, don't forget about C. Um, there is no such thing as overkill. Uh, right. That's what I think. Yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> why, why just mummify a girl in tape? You have to put her in saran wrap and then... <laughs> and put it in a tube and foam caster. Yeah, and then hang her from the ceiling, clearly. Upside down. <laughs> with vibrators inside her. <laughs> Some guy once said to me when the girl was on the spinner, he said, yeah, well, I don't get it. I was at the bar. I said, I don't get it. He said, well, how do you fuck her when she's on that thing? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> the drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. To explain to somebody it's not about always about fucking. No, exactly. No, it's not. So, uh, so where do you get your ideas from? What's your main... Do you, do you guys have like a Monday morning traffic meeting and brainstorm ideas for the week? Or This is the other misconception. Everybody thinks that God is an empire. It's me <laughs> yeah. and Chris. That's it. Okay. There's three of us. And Chris is my account. Ruth is everybody's uh, helper and, you know, office manager, etc. And mm -hmm. there's me. That's it. Right. There's just three of us. Yeah. So how do you, do you sit on the porch and... And drink mint juleps and dream up things, or I just see something and yeah. just idea will come to me, you know. Yeah. What I mean, the 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 punishment box. I was sitting there one day and in my car, and I looked out, and there's a a, a post box, and I thought, hmm, let's stick a chick in one of those. <laughs> but then again, there's a bit too much room there. It'll need to be more confining. Yeah, so obviously. Yeah. 
It's like we did the crate for for uh, Blanche, the one that we built in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. It became known as the crate that ate downtown Vancouver's hardware stores. You know, it just sort of got out of hand. Right. She was four and a half hours in it, traveling all around BC on the back of a flatbed truck. Holy smokes. It was really funny. We had a lot of fun. I bet. She was strapped down, stark naked, stuffed with dildos, left, right and center. She had boob electrodes. She had sound sensors. So if she made a noise, she got shot. <laughs> the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, the batteries went flat. So we pulled up alongside Canadian Tire and we're right there in Main Street and we've got the top on the crate and people are walking by within four feet of us, but they can't see into the crate because it's above their line of sight. And there's this naked strapped down girl only four feet away and they're wondering what all these guys are doing in this crate while well, we were stuffing new battery batteries in the vibrators <laughs> and tens of units. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, some things you're just better off not knowing. <laughs> but it's, well, this was our whole concept is everybody, anybody who was on my website would now wonder whenever they saw a crate of that approximate size on the back of a truck Yes. You've got to wonder, is there a chicken there? Yeah, totally. Well, now they're ruined for life, right? <laughs> Those fuel things, you know, the ones they put on the roof of the car? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wonder how many of those have had chicks in there. Yeah, yeah. I like to imagine a few. <laughs> so what So, what invention are you the most proud of? What, what, what one sticks out in your mind as just an active, pure genius? I keep getting asked that, and every time I think I'm never going to bet better that one, something else comes up. I don't know. I mean, bitch bender is one of the most complex, also the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, I was offered 25,000 bucks for that, and I almost sold it, but then in the end, I just figured in the wrong hands it would kill somebody. Right. You, you, because I'm the designer of it, and I understand every small detail, yeah. I actually know what it's doing just from listening to it. And all, there's about eight or nine safety devices built in. Right. And if somebody wanted to just squeeze a bit of extra power out of it and did something wrong, you could break somebody's spine or crush the ribcage. So yeah. at the end of the day, I said, no. Yeah. One guy copied the pictures and he said, well, if you won't tell me, I'm going to build my own. Ugh. And he's building this thing and I got chatting with him and I said, how are you doing? And he explained from the pictures and I said, well... How many safety devices you got? I mean, I won't say too much on the air because I don't want to give him any clues. Yeah. But there was two safety devices on there that he can't recognize because he wouldn't even know what he was looking at. Right. And unless you're a pneumatics engineer, but they are fail-safe devices. They don't rely on anything mechanical. Right. Yes. And um, the reason I'm not going to mention them on here is because he might yeah. think it's how safe to put that on. Right. <laughs> But I mean, just the way it's piped is critical. Yeah. If one part of it fails, it all fails. Gotcha. Can't get pressure in one spot. Yeah, and I mean, I I've worked with enough hydraulics to know that it's incredibly powerful. Well, we just had Femcar went up to three thousand two hundred pounds. Holy moly! That's the total pressure exerted on a body, and that's derived by adding up the eight cylinders, the area of the cylinders. Uh, and all the, and the pressure that's being applied, and actually it was applying over three thousand pounds of pressure to her body. Yeah, you got to remember she's being pushed into memory foam. Right. So it's being absorbed over the whole area of the body. Yeah. Still so, shit out of her. Yeah. Well, so kids don't do not try this at home. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so, are there any devices that you would love to make but are just too dangerous? 
Oh, yeah. Um, well, actually, having said that, they're not too dangerous if you think them out. Right. I mean, at the moment, I've got somebody wants to be put in the full-length corset and dropped from a bungee cord about 200 feet high. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? If I use the full-length corset with the neck, um, a neck corset and a hood and everything and the arm sheath, and then she strapped her all the way down, mm-hmm. the safest way to do a bungee jump. There's no way the stress can pull your spinal cord apart. You're supported by leather and, and boning. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, a, it's actually probably the safest bungee jump you could ever do. <laughs> God, probably, totally, absolutely the most fun. <laughs> We've got to find a contractor with one of these high-rise tower cranes. Yeah. Because they want to do it from one of those, and they want to be hauled all the way up and then released by a, a radio control. Wow. So it's probably the safest way to do it, actually, because it's a dead straight drop. Yeah. But hanging 200 feet in the air upside down in the course, it would be pretty hairy. Oh, my God. I get vertical just thinking about it. So, of course, you'd have to find, uh, you know, obviously you have someone that's wanting to do that. So on that topic. Actually, about 10 or 15, I think, at the last count. Wow. So how do you how do you um, find models? How difficult do you find it? Are they battering down your door? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean... They want, they want to do it. Um, so, and because we do such unusual things, I mean, there's a lot of people doing other stuff, but women generally seem to want to do the unusual. They want the new experience. Right. And I think that's what I, why BDSM is so, um, it's, it's, so ende- it's so enduring. Yeah. I mean, normal vanilla sex at the end of the day gets pretty damn boring if you think yeah. about it. But yeah. There's no limit to what we can do. Absolutely. Within, well, you know, almost. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, who who's your favourite uh, models to work with over the over the years? I couldn't say. Every one of them's got something going on. You know, I mean, Petra's going to be here again in a few weeks. She was fantastic to work with, and uh, as you see from the, the film, the summer of Petra, we developed the bitch bender, the Moby fuck, and all that stuff when she was here. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just one of them. I mean, Eden Wells is coming up again soon, and so on. Yeah, she's hot. Just couldn't say each one is, has been. In fact, we've we've been really lucky. We've only had maybe say three, maybe four models I can think of that I wouldn't ask back. Really? Yeah. Over all this all this time, that's great. Yeah, yeah. we've been really lucky that we've been, had some fantastic women here. Yeah. Now, do they do they come and and live with you for a week or two weeks, or is it just usually a couple of days? Or uh, it's normally a couple of days when we're doing a shoot. But yeah, uh, and, um, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the moment for another summer uh, stayover girl who wants to do the stuff because that's when you can develop the best stuff. Right. You see, the models come and go. They've got to keep going, but uh, and they can't afford to stay with you without pay over that period. Right. I couldn't afford to pay. I can put a girl up, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. It's, if she's be, like Petra was between jobs, so it was ideal for her. Right. Summer. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking for another one now because when they're here and, and you can ask them at a minute's notice to come and try something, and then you might only need them for five minutes. Right. But that can then give you the next day's work. And you can tweak it. Yeah, just exactly. Yeah, it'd but be if like, it'd be like LA or something like that, yeah. then it's going to take forever to build a piece of equipment. 
absolutely. And we're pushing the limits, so these things have to be dead right. Right, absolutely. So what, what is their most uh, common complaint? That it's not long enough? <laughs> uh, it's just a physical strain? A lot of them have said, I wish you could have stood it longer. Yeah. It's normally the arm sheets are the limiting factor. Right. Um, but generally speaking, most of them get 30 minutes, 45. In fact, I've had one girl, we went to a party with a, an arm sheath with her elbows touching and a uh, head helmet, uh, ballet boots, electric switched on, the whole thing, and she was four and a half hours in it. Holy smokes. Um, completely gagged arm sheath and strutting around in black. Uh, that was wildflower. Um, Eventually, four and a half hours, she had the arm sheath off. She didn't even shake her hands. The arm sheath slid off. The helmet came off. She just walked over to the table, picked up a plate, and started filling the plate. She said, I'm starving. And I'm like, cow. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, you're a keeper. <laughs> wow. So, uh, so do you do you go out and uh, take uh, contraptions and and? models and stuff to uh private parties around there do you do you get yeah, out much sometimes yeah yeah i've yeah. done a pitch bender we took to monk's party um the other day i've taken the unfunk machine out uh we took the new pony cart with the butt thruster out the other day mm -hmm. some, yeah. cool so you so when you're not um when you're not filming for the site you actually do use the stuff for fun and yeah I'd like to use it a lot more. Yeah. Well, that's sort of, that's a common lament for anyone that's uh, made a business out of their hobby, I'm sure. Wasn't the intention. When I came back from Africa, I came back into a depression um, in UK, and it was very difficult to yeah. get a job. Uh, it was the weird thing. There was this bloody place I went to for a job, and they had 18 presses on this line. 16 of the presses were ones that I designed. Wow. <laughs> and they, took, they hired a 22-year-old straight out of college instead of me. Yeah. And uh, about 14, 16 months later, the company went bankrupt because he knew nothing about hydrologics. Because at that time, hydrologics were like, you know, the electronics of the hydraulics world. Nobody knew how to do them. Right. I designed those machines with hydrologics controls. And um, he just didn't know what he was doing. So yeah. eventually the downtime of the presses bankrupted the company and I thought, well, how much did that save you? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. The thing so, is what you know what they say? I was overqualified. Yes, well that's yeah, that's what they say when they actually mean we can't afford to pay you what you're worth. <laughs> so Yeah well short sightedness. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah but anyway you're doing something way more fun now anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, do you uh, do you have sort of a um, an annual large party that you like to go to? A large party. Well, like, we uh, go to Boundcom this year. Um, okay. Um, Florida. Everybody said I should go to FetCon, but the problem is the distance. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, with with Fet with uh, Boundcom, we're probably going to build this stuff in Germany now. Um, and I'd probably fly over early, a month early, and build it there at Anna's place. Because mm -hmm. shipping it over was a nightmare. Right. And oh, we yeah. sent, this year we sent a crate of stuff over and <laughs> for the show. And we went 
like a month or so early we shipped it just to be sure and this crate did the whole tour of the world it was an unbelievable tour it left from here and went to minneapolis yeah and from minneapolis they sent it to sacramento where it sat for a week then it went from sacramento to la where it was put on a direct flight to München. Yes. But then the security took, decided, no, no, we want to check that crate out. So they pulled it off the plane, and it sat another week in L.A. So <laughs> now it's two and a half, three weeks gone. So then it went from there to Luxembourg. Then they sent it from Luxembourg to Frankfurt. The Germans got interested in it because the Americans had been interested in it. Yeah. In the end, they sent it to München. But then, hold on, no, it's not there yet because they decided to call it back to Frankfurt. Good Lord. So it went back to Frankfurt, and then it came eventually on a truck from Frankfurt to uh, München, and then eventually it did the last 70 miles to Anna's place. So it got there like the same week as the show, Yeah, we so, months earlier. So let this be a lesson to any perverts out there who are fantasizing about sending themselves in a crate somewhere. <laughs> it might take you a while. Thing and they'd see it was full of tubular chunks of steel. They yeah. probably thought I was... Shipping out a weapon of mass destruction. Yeah, of course, It was actually two chariots. Oh, right. <laughs> on, a, oh. on a chandelier. Yeah. So, um, so as you sort of reflect, this is sort of more the philo philosophical part of the interview. Um, if you, as you reflect on, you know, everything that you've done thus far, uh, what do you, what would you do differently if you were to do it all over again? I'd probably not bother to challenge authority in UK. Uh, that case cost me about £100,000 to fight. It actually changed the law in UK, but basically they've gone back to where they started from yeah. with this new change of law. Yeah. Because we got the, the old law. I was actually the first guy in UK who was a sole proprietor who was busted for pornography who didn't get a custodial sentence. Hmm. That came from a case precedent set by Lord Wilberforce who stated that anyone found guilty of pornography should re receive an immediate custodial sentence. Right. Um, I could have won the case on many. If I wanted to take it to, uh, to appeals, I would most certainly have won because the jury totally disregarded the ju judge's instructions. Yeah. The judge said, if you, this is a grey area, there's no bestiality, there's no child sex involved. If you have any doubt, it's your duty to acquit. Right. Uh, I would call a hung jury, three jury recalls, and a majority, not a unanimous verdict, somewhat of a bloody... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something wrong there. Yeah, but it cost me a 30-year marriage, and uh, like I said, 100,000, and I just lost the will to fight and left the country. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't fight that fight again. Yeah. I mean, would you, uh, would you trade your... Um experience in engineering and stuff for more time doing this i guess you couldn't you couldn't have done you couldn't do what you do without all your knowledge i've often thought about this and i, um, I mean i was military before that so blah blah there's some things in the military i wished i hadn't done and whatever mm -hmm. but everybody says that's what you are now and you probably wouldn't be the same guy yeah and, and it's probably true yeah yeah there's no point regretting the past there's fuck all you can do about it that's right so so how do you, how, how will you know when it's time to do something else? Uh, <laughs> I don't have any option. Yeah. It's, it's like 
in the UK thing, the reason I started the magazine was because I couldn't get work as an engineer. Right. At every job I went to, there were hundreds of qualified engineers out of work applying for the same job. Wow. And so I just started to write books and uh, that was it. That's how it all started. Mm -hmm. So I suppose something will come along that forces me to do something else. Yeah. So if it wasn't for a shitty economy, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing. So take heart. Yes. Everyone that's, that's the economy is liable to be the thing that pushes me out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Plus the piracy. The piracy is just out of it. It's just unbelievable. I mean, the, the, the word fornophilia is our copyright. And yet, if you type in fornophilia and stuff like that, you get a dentist to come up or some guy selling carpets or buckets. Yeah. And then you get all these people that do, they've got nothing to do with the House of God slipping our name in. Yeah. So they pull, and of course, it's like the old thing with the football crowd. If you're the only guy standing up waving, everybody notices you. But if everybody stands up and waves at the same time, you waste. And yeah. so these people can't see it, but, but they're just killing everything by doing all this. Yeah. So where's most of the, the, the piracy of your uh, stuff? Oh, where's the, where's it happening? The file share people. Ever since uh, those file share people won the two cases, one in Denmark and one in LA, nobody's been able to stop them. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you deal with that? What what? Yeah, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it costs you thousands to keep pulling them down. Yeah. They'll take them down after they've been up for three or four days or even a week. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's the point? Everybody's already got them then. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, you know, you have your your membership, and they gladly pay their monthly dues. Oh yeah, it's the loyalists that's keeping us awake. Yeah, that's keeping us going now. Yeah. If yeah. it wasn't for the loyalists, we wouldn't be able to survive. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, what gets you is when you see people saying they love your stuff and they think it's fantastic. And has anybody got this? Please send me this file. And like, dickhead, how <laughs> going to keep going if you keep asking for it for free? Yeah. Like, yeah. why don't you just pay one month's membership and you can get everything we've ever done? It's never been taken down. Right. Everything that we've ever done since we opened up is on the website. We don't take it down. Gotcha. And yeah, so it's yeah. just, and they're, they're doing this. I said this to uh, our um, webmaster, actually. I said, what happens if we drop the rate on the, on the website? And he says, if you drop the rate to $1, there are people there who will not pay $1 because it's part of the thing that of getting it for free. They feel like they've scored something. Right, it's the challenge. Well, they, wouldn't even pay, they wouldn't even bother to pay one dollar. Yeah. I don't know how to fight it. I don't know how anybody's fighting it, but yeah. I mean, do you do you uh, email uh, particular websites and ask them to take stuff down? And no lawyers do it, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, you just got to pick your battles in the end. At the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we we've got a, a movie that we've not even put out. It's called King Canapolis. It's a racing movie. We, right. we we made racing fucking machines and everything. We've not even put it out there. It cost us fifty thousand dollars to make. Yeah. It will be out there for free within forty eight hours as was publishing it. So I'm not even gonna put it out there until we figure out some way where we can get the money back before we release it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation. I mean I you know, our our, our own personal, you know, the fetish dynasty project. Uh, you know, I, I'm reticent to even try to charge anything because, like you say, like, what's what's the point? <laughs> you know what I mean? 
Well, we're coming to the point now where we're probably going to do the same as they're doing to us and just use our name to sell product. Yeah. That's the only thing we can think. But then the Chinese are going to start building bitch benders and Christ. The, the Japanese are already building racing fucking machines. Uh, he did it on the website. Yeah. <laughs> Smaller, cheaper versions. <laughs> yeah, they really are crappy looking things. At least ours look like racing cars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, all kinds of industries are, are trying to figure out how in the hell you keep your profits up in, in a digital world. You know, so I don't know what the answer is unless we get a sunspot and we all go back to printed stuff. Yeah, well, it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> we might not be around, but it'll happen. <laughs> well, I don't know. What's twenty twelve? That's probably what's going to happen. I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> get the printing press ready. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll buy some papyrus tomorrow and and. Uh, <laughs> it's a little bit scary if you think about it. There's so much of our uh, economy and and the way we live and even actual staying alive is now based on microchips that could be gone in a split second. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as I know, they the big EMP, they can't protect against. The last time I heard, the maximum they can protect against is about 50,000 volts. Wow. Um, like, I mean, some you can get some spikes that could, uh, especially a nuke, a nuke can spike at a million volts EMP in an airburst, so kiss goodbye to everything. Yeah. Yeah, we're instantly back a thousand years or more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, that's why it's important. Somebody was saying to me the other day, well, you know what, if it's just my cell phone goes dead and my calculator, I can live with it. And I'm like, do you realize that all the poles on the streets with the switch gear, it's controlled by microchips? Everything. Pumping stations, the sewage stations, every damn thing you can think of has got a microchip in. By the way, your watch will stop as well. Yeah, my toaster has probably has a microchip in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to control the different types of bread buttons on the front of it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, this is why it's important to, uh, to do what you love and, and fucking damn the torpedoes and just, you know, yeah. just carry on. So. Well, that's the best. I mean, you know, at times I want to give up and then I get the model in and we do a really good shoot and I'm like, Christ, can't give this up. Yeah, this is too fucking good. And, you know, you live in a pretty nice part of the world and... Yeah. And uh, you know, you have a private private large private property and mm. you know, could be worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thinking when I was sitting in the chariot with Callisto pulling it the other day. We we had this new model up, she just came out of nowhere and like she put this net suit on and we put the butt thruster onto the pony cart. So she has to pull it with her ass stuck out. And I'm sitting behind there, and I don't know where, how she figured out where to go because I couldn't get my eyes off her ass. <laughs> but it's on the film. You can see me just watching her ass all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So how, if, if someone is, uh, wants to model with you, how do they get a hold of you? Of you? Well, so if you go to the front of the website, on both the websites, there's a, a bar up at the top that says Model Call. Right. And they can fill in there. Gotcha. Any any specific requirements that uh, they should know about? Well, basically, they just take a look at the website, and if they're yeah. not like those sort of girls, uh, you know, within reason, uh, mm -hmm. then um, you know we can't really use them because that's what our members want. Right. Yeah. I mean, at times, I'd like to use um, you know what they what they call normal women, but then again, we've had some people that come here, and you're like, that's a model, and then when you see them. Dressed up in the gear, they're like, 
Yeah. Ow. You just can't believe what they look like. Yeah. They take all the tatty old clothes off, you know, the street walking clothes or traveling clothes, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the power of fetish clothing. Yeah. I and mean, that's what it does. It transforms people into, uh, you know, superhumans. The problem is we can't get the really big girls because obviously our equipment's built for the average model girl. Yeah. And so we're sort of limited to girls, maximum about 5'10". Um, mm -hmm. You know, and sort of around 140 pounds maximum, sort of thing. Yeah. Around that, so because we just can't cope with all the different sizes because the machines have got yeah pretty. They can't be that generically adjustable, you know. Yeah, one size fits all doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do it. They've got to be within reason, you know. Right. So, so there's so there's houseofgore.com. That's your main website. Then there's nakedgore. Nakedgore.com. And then we got uh, Gore's Store, which is the, if you don't want to go on the website, you can go and buy the videos off there, just individually. A la carte, okay. Yeah, and then we have uh, Gord Books, which is where we sell the books and DVDs from. Right, and those are all .com. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Any other uh, sort of projects or things that you want to that you wanna plug or announce? Not really. Not really? Just keep, keep tabs? I know you're pretty active on uh, FetLife. Yeah, yeah. Mostly uh, tracking down people who post your photos and... <laughs> Actually, it's not been so bad lately. I don't have to track them down on there because somebody will tell me. Right. You know, um, and quite often if they're up there now, I've normally given them permission. So they actually put on there that they got permission. Yeah, I think honestly a lot of people are probably shocked when the actual owner of the site contacts them directly. They're sort of like, oh, it's almost like they're sort of reminded there's an actual person behind it yeah with, with feelings and and you know <laughs> what gets me is when you get somebody like there was, i won't say the name but there was a very famous photographer who was in all the glossy magazines very glossy glossy magazines yeah and i respected this guy so much for his photography and then one day up pops this picture that's mine and I got on to him and I said, by the way, that's my picture and we've not asked permission to use it. He said, no, it's not. That's my picture. I took it. I said, really? I said, are you sure? Take a look again. He says, yeah, I know the picture well. He said, I took it. Describes it to me. I said, okay, when did you fly to UK? When were you in my house playing with my wife then? And so all of a sudden the picture disappeared. Yeah. Oh, my God. But the thing was, it ruined the credibility. Now I started looking at all his pictures and I'm like, well, how yeah. many didn't he take? Yeah. And I thought it was so stupid for him to do something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you like this stuff and, and you want to do it, just go do it. I mean, I that's what we did. Yeah. We just decided, you know what, let's make our own version of, of, I mean, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel, but let's at least make our own original stuff. And it's a hell of a lot of fun, and it doesn't cost that much money. I think we did reinvent the wheel and put a chick in it for the spokes. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, you you do things a little differently. <laughs> That's but why Petra, we... Petra wants to go in the wheel in a pipe position. Holy smokes! Um, so uh, I just measured it up, and we can do it. Um, yeah. So I've got to make the over the weekend, the next week, I've got to make the equipment to clamp her safely in position. Yeah. And she'll be in a folded pipe. Oh my god! It's coming end over end. Thank God for flexible women. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to really concentrate on driving with their ass. Yeah, I bet. You're going to have to get a chauffeur one day. <laughs> yeah, so cool. Okay, well, that's uh, 
That's great. I really appreciate uh, you talking to me, and, and I'm sure people will be fascinated by uh, the stuff you had to say, and, and uh, just keep on doing your crazy-ass thing. I'll try. Yeah, we'll uh, hopefully, hopefully be uh, seeing you 10 years from now. <laughs> that's, that's my thought. That's what I'd like to be doing, yeah. Yeah, right on. Cool. Okay, well, take care. Cheers, my mate. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, bye-bye. Thanks again to Jeff for his time in candor. Check out the House of Gord if you haven't done so in a while, and sign up if you like it. There's just something great about people who shoot from the hip and make no apologies for who they are. We'd love to get your feedback on the podcast, so please send an email to podcast at fetishdynasty.com or message us on FetLife. Until then, keep your stick on the ice. Take care, you bunch of perverts.